welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton, your host. Today we are looking at the gospel reading for the commemoration of the Reformation, which is John chapter 8, verses 31 to 30, what is it? Six. Six? Um, Thank you. So we have Peterson back with us. Welcome back. Thank you. So we already tried to go through this once, and it was a massive fail. So we're trying it again. Here we go. Go ahead and read. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, and you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. All right. So the overarching kind of context is either at, or in this case, just after the Feast of Tabernacles, that fall feast, commemorating God's providence, not only in calling them out of Egypt, but also leading them through the wilderness and finally into the promised land. Is there anything going on at this feast that um, Jesus is particularly teaching? It seems like in John's gospel, all of our Lord's teaching is surrounding what's going on at the feasts. Is there anything particular in this one that that he's addressing here? Well, it seems like the slavery issue is at the <laughs> forefront, right? Because the feast is celebrating their deliverance from slavery, and then they weirdly say that they've never been in slavery, which, I mean, who knows what they're even thinking when they say that, right? Uh, exactly. I mean, even considering what they're going through at this point in history. Yeah, they're, it's not they're like they're, occupied. Yeah. Yeah. They're not slaves though. But, no, but they're still, not. They're an occupied country. Right. Right. But they're not free the way that they would like to be free. No, that no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange, it's a strange statement they make. I I don't I've wondered about that over the years. You know, our I remember one time I was in a bad situation that I sort of got myself into and I was under a lot of pressure and the authority figure was who was grilling me about what had happened uh asked about some things and in the flash of the moment i lied even though i knew that he knew the truth it didn't make any sense right Uh and then and then he was like you're lying i know better and i was like yeah i know i'm lying and i don't even know why i lied because i knew i couldn't get it right yeah i I don't know if i mean maybe that's an unfair of my own just weird experience in life but uh it's it almost feels like that like it's just a defensive stupid response that isn't coming from you know it, it's just sort of going to dispute Jesus no matter what he says no matter how ridiculous their statement is they're just right i don't i yeah. don't know if that's what's going on i mean or are they thinking just in their immediate situation like they've never been slaves I, I, or, or are they spiritualizing it? Are they like, we've always been the sons of God and therefore belong to him, and what happens in our bodies isn't real? I, I don't know. I mean, you do, get this, you do get this sense that earlier they're talking about um, you know, how they are sons of Abraham. So I don't know why suddenly they would switch from bringing in being children of Abraham then to like ab- abstracting that and then going to the the immediate situation that they find themselves in it's just a you, i don't understand their response at all yeah i don't i really don't either um except that well he does i mean okay he does say that they are slaves of sin 
right? And and then, I mean, I think they certainly understand a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever, right? They realize he's talking about living with God in the beatific vision, right? Restored to the image of God and in heaven. And that's the freedom that he's offering, right? And then, yeah. so... Wait a minute. That's after, though. I'm sorry. That's I got after it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I just. You're right. Okay. So he just says, "If you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free." Yeah. And they if just you abide in my word. Yeah. If you abide in my word, and they're like, "Hey, we're Abraham's descendants," so that part makes sense. Uh, okay. So I can understand. Right. They're like, "Look, we we know the tr- we're, we we know the truth because we're Abraham's descendants. What do we need your word for?" But then, why do they say they've never been in bondage to anyone? How can you say you will make you will be made free? Right, meaning, uh, you know, we're already free. You can't make us. You can't make free people free. Yeah, I don't know. I it, right. I'm yeah. I'm sorry. I got mixed up there with the uh, the order. I, it it is this. It just a a strange response considering their history. Yeah, and um, you know, even their current circumstances. I just don't. Unless it is as you're saying, you know, sin makes us stupid. Right, that yeah. we say just weird things and <laughs> and we're not willing to admit yeah um we're not willing to admit when we are in bondage about things we're immediately defensive about it well is it sort of like the um like i've noticed if you say to somebody uh and i've done this in my fallen flesh to people occasionally <laughs> where people will be talking about something and then i'll say oh well i mean if you know since you're afraid oh i'm oh i'm not afraid Right. No, I, I could never be afraid. How could how could that possibly be? I mean, there's this when it's clear that they are, right? Uh right. I mean there, there is is it just that? So it's just this I could never be a slave because or or is it um is it also just that they've just actually have completely forgotten their history? And even like you say, the context of the of the Feast of Tabernacles, so that they don't even realize at an at a cognitive an intellectual level, you know, in sort of working memory, that that's what that was about. I mean, is yeah. it sort of like like Christmas is really about Santa Claus and gifts, and then somebody brings up Jesus' birth, and in the sort of moment you just go, no, right? What does religion have to do with Christmas? You know, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it could be that you know that, that they really just are so secular at this point. I don't know. It, it still it could, seems kind of impossible. Be, yeah, it could be that, or it could be just a denial of, I mean, that they really feel the piercing of the law at this point, right? That, uh, as we were already saying, when the law is very acutely applied as a defense mechani- mechanism, we kind of go in the direct opposite direction so that not only have they forgotten that they were slaves in Egypt, but that they were in Babylon, or yeah, that they right, were sl- right. I mean, any of that, and 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 what you know, what our Lord is preaching and teaching is very much sounding like Isaiah, right? Right. In terms of um, people, you know, preaching peace when there is no peace, or um, people saying, "Well, the temple is here." you're never going to destroy Jerusalem because this is your house. It's almost as if like Jesus is saying exactly what Isaiah is saying. And then just like before, it's like their history is repeating itself and he's just calling the attention to that, like that they're just like their fathers. I mean, he's going to go into that, right? Eventually you're not children of Abraham. You're children of your father, the devil who killed the prophets. Right. That's right. So, so maybe, maybe this is just how sinful man reacts when we have a very pointed application of the law, and what is laid bare before you is precisely what you're doing and precisely who you are. That you can't see it. Yeah, they're just right. They're just so obstinate and so blind that they just. Yeah. That what it demonstrates is, um. Well, the hardness of their hearts, just like with yeah. Pharaoh. Well, okay, so if you go back to what, right, and uh, uh, yeah, with Pharaoh, a nice uh, <laughs> connection there. It, so you, you've got this too, this statement, right, that this is a call to abide in Jesus' words mm-hmm. and to be Jesus' students, right? 
um, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And, you know, they have no interest in either one of those things. They're not there right. to learn from Jesus, right? Um, and they don't care about his words. Then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And uh, so I wonder, you know, if this isn't also just, it just shows how they don't even know the truth about their own history, even in the sort of outward, you know, realities of it. I mean, this yeah. isn't a matter of trying to decide if it was, uh, you know, morally uh, acceptable to re- to uh, to declare independence from the British Empire or not, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is more like you know, did we ever throw t- uh, boxes of tea into the Boston Harbor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, you know, they're so blind to the truth that they don't even they're so unwilling to learn and to be in the Word that they can't even make that statement. So maybe it is like I like your connection to to Pharaoh, not only because of the tabernacles, but this is really, I think, the point of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, right? right? That, that, that Pharaoh is going to be, a, he's going to be taken to the absolute extreme, a caricature of the stupidity that evil causes, right? I mean, Pharaoh It's knows. crazy. I, I never understood it. Like, all these things happening, and yet he still doubles down. Yeah, he just can't, because his heart is hardened. And it's like, well, this is what... This is what the devil is. This is what unbelief is. This is what sin is. So it's it's a total like you know is going to harden them to the point of just insane obstinance, right? Oh, and I mean I love this too, right? Oh, oh, okay, let them go. Finally, it's bad enough. Oh, let's go get them. And then <laughs> they marching through the Red Sea on dry ground. Wouldn't this seem a little dangerous to follow them in there? Yeah, right? you think you'd be like the guy from Star Wars? It's a trap. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Pharaoh is the ultimate fool uh, yeah. because because he doesn't have the fear of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and you know, I suppose in a sense, maybe that's what we're seeing here. They're just they're just absolute fools because they do not have the fear of the Lord. Yeah, there's. Um, I mean, we see this going on all the time. I mean, I think last summer was probably, you know, all of the doubling down on bad decisions, doubling down on even flat-out lies to the public, it, it's or the revision of history that yeah. we got, and really kind of on both sides, right? And just in terms of either the idealized America or the demonic America, just people doubling down on something that wasn't really historically correct or partially historically correct. Right. And how that really, um, it, it really hardens your heart to even begin to hear anything, uh, any kind of opposing view. Right. Well, there's this whole confirmation bias stuff, right, that goes on that we know psychologically. How bad we are at, our memories aren't very good, our ability to predict the future is worthless, and and our once we make a decision, we just have to prove it was the right decision. All right, and yeah. It's so hard to. Uh, it's so difficult for us to really reconsider something. It's. It's. And I mean, well, it's just gambling, pro- right? It's. Yeah. Right. Once we start losing, you know, we start end up thinking, well, we got to get it back, and we just keep doubling down on the bad decisions. Right. And again, it's just it's utter foolishness. Uh, so the, uh, anyway, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which would be the opposite of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they're standing in the temple too, you know, is is always to me a little surprising. And uh, I suppose I'm pretty crass at this point with like our church because it's a workplace for me, right? I'm used to being in it. And when people mm-hmm. act, I should probably stop this. Like, you know, well, you'll have somebody, right, a, a person hasn't been to church in a while, or somebody you know from the community, right, will come to church, and and he'll be like, oh, are the walls going to fall in because I'm such a terrible sinner? And, <laughs> you know, I, I always act like that's a preposterous statement, but I wonder if I should be going, maybe, you know, uh, and, and because they're, they're sort of wrecking, they're sort of throwing down the gauntlet when they say that, right? Like, well, this is a holy place. Will I be judged by it? And they're, they're, they fully expect me to say, oh, no, of course not. Uh, but they're kind of mocking. I mean, I don't know. There, there is, this is a holy place. And, um, yeah. you know, this has been set aside for this. God is present here in, 
you know, in word and in sacrament. And it's not, he's not less present. In fact, he's more present in the body and blood of Jesus than he was in the temple. Yeah. But the temple does seem scarier to me. Um, and the, uh, well, only because they're killing things all the time. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, if you touch the wrong thing, you might die or you bring the wrong fire. So, I mean, they're, they're, uh, anyway, they, they are there in this holy place where, where, where blasphemous blasphemy is, you know, crasser and worse because of its context. It's more obviously wrong, and that's what they're doing. And, and they have no shame in it. You know, they're completely comfortable there. But I mean, I right. suppose the money changers helped with that. And their own unbelief helped with that. Well, uh, part of that is just to their confidence in their birthright. Yeah, which is, you know, I it's think... It's like an know, overweening confidence, right? Right. Um, and, and that's particularly gross to us. I mean, I think as Americans, but, but also as, you know, Christians after the resurrection, you know, the idea that, that you would revert to a kind of racist idea that your ethnicity is what pleases God and gives you automatic access. And it's a pretty gross idea. Yes. Uh, particularly because it was ignoring the God's providence through the fathers, right? right. So it wasn't, wasn't at all, again, you know, just ignoring the history here. We've never been enslaved by anyone. There's, there's no recognition that they have what they have not because of who who they are but they are who they are because of who came before them right and that kind of that kind of um understanding of their ethnicity or um of their race or however you want to refer to it i mean that's not entirely bad but it's well, the right, right. If the, if they were like proud of, I don't like that word. But if they were, you know, proud of their of the tradition and the heritage that they had received and the history of their people, right? We were once despised in Egypt, and God has delivered us from that. But instead, right, they're just snotty kids that are, you know, think they deserve to be rich. Yeah, it's a well, it's a misapplication of who their real father is. That yeah, Abraham, yeah. Uh, surely by blood, but. That is not the patriarchy that they should be looking towards, right? Yeah. So, um, so how do you bring this out? This this section, I think, in preaching, in terms of what are the lies that we tell ourselves today, either as Lutherans or as Americans or just Christians in America in general, that kind of go along with this same thing we're offspring of luther right and have never been enslaved to anyone or we're offspring of george washington or whatever the case is right well i think that you know jesus response that you know whoever committeth sin is a slave of sin you know that's we we uh we squeeze out of that um or we try to squeeze out of that in in various ways but it seems to me that the way that we're most prone to do it is to try to, to, to claim that we're not slaves of sin because of the gospel. And then we abstract our sins mm-hmm. as something that isn't us, but is something that happens to us or that's something that some, somebody else does in us, right? So there's this sort of, uh, yeah, you know, I commit sins, but I'm not a sinner. Or, right. you know, God hates the sin, but he doesn't hate the sinner. And we mistake so, the symptom for the disease. Yeah, and we we don't realize. Look, look, I'm the one that did this, uh, you know. Uh, and you know, we we there's all this talk about the simul, right? But it's so often used to actually escape the reality that the point of the simul is there's only one man, right? Who is simultaneously these things? Not there's two men, and one of them isn't the real me. You know, my identity is in Jesus. My identity is in baptism. Therefore, it doesn't matter what the other guy's doing when, and I'll pretend like I don't notice, right? There's this, mm-hmm. this, this, uh, I mean, this is a harsh preaching of the law that whoever commits sin is a slave to sin that we need to let have its way with us and recognize that, you know, why are we being ruled by our passions? Mm-hmm. And and uh, we are being ruled by them off every time we sin, right? Yeah. We give we give the reins over to the old man, <laughs> and we say, and then we try to pretend like I'm going to take a nap in the back seat and pretend like it didn't wasn't me. 
Uh, so I think that's a really a, a really harsh thing, and and I do think we sometimes are sort of you know well we know how to properly distinguish between the law and the gospel, and uh, we think that that means that oh we oh this is a law verse oh yeah that's right those don't apply to me because of the gospel right <laughs> so you know and and then we think that's Lutheran oh and it's wonderful and then if you you know so I think that's our main thing it's this again this sort of abuse of the real heritage of the Reformation which is to live, I mean, what Christ says is, if you abide in my word. In fact, I, I'm really happy here that he doesn't say, if you abide in my gospel. I didn't like the, the new ordination right, and it's not that new anymore, the LSB agenda changed. There was a place in there, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was something about, it was something about being a servant of the word or, or obeying or listening to the word, and, and that's the old right. And then they changed it to just gospel. Really? Yeah. So they changed the word word to gospel. And uh, I, I I find that that's not, that's not helpful, helpful there. Jesus mm-hmm. here doesn't say if you abide in my gospel, right. right? I mean, he does, of course, this is his gospel, right? But it's gospel in the broad sense. I mean, you know, to be his disciples, to be learning from him and you shall know the truth. Part mm-hmm. of the truth, I mean, a significant part of the truth is that we're sinners that need redemption yeah. and that we're that we're right we need to be rescued and you know we we are under threat of god's wrath and of destroying our faith mm-hmm. and of acting just like these fools right we yeah. we don't want to be slaves to sin and uh, we don't want to be ruled by our passions we want to abide in the house of god forever and that that there's so the kind of gospel word there to you know is that a son abides forever Right, so what we want to be is the children of God, the Son of God, who live according to the Word of God. I just, I just came back from this pastors' conference. I think I can't remember if you, I don't know if you're going to cut that out, but we, we you alluded to that. It was uh, Eric Andre talking about Bo Geertz, oh. right? And uh, it's about as difficult to get uh, Eric Andre to talk about Bo Geertz as it is to get me to talk about antinomianism. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was great, and he brought up this thing that Geertz had that. I was really fascinated by where Geertz makes a distinction between a Christian and a believer. <laughs> and of course yeah. they can overlap, right? And they should overlap. But but he said baptism makes Christians and then faith makes believers, right? And and so everybody lost their minds at the it sounds terrible, right? What? Uh you know, he says no 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 no, listen. He says here's the deal is that baptism gives you God's name right? You belong to him. He is your father. You are his child. That's an objective reality. And it's true what God has done to you, what God has made you, and the relationship that he claims upon you, whether you believe it or not. Right. So, so you are, you're a Christian in that sense because you're baptized. It's, a, it's an objective reality. Unfortunately, you know, in a sense for us, is that we can reject that baptism. We can, we can mock our father. We can be like the prodigal son that runs off to the faraway country. Mm-hmm. But when the prodigal son's in the far country, he's still the son, right? Right. So in that sense, that's what that's what sort of Geertz apparently means by Christian, right? He's baptized. He's the son. The father's eagerly waiting for him. What if he dies in that far country? He goes to hell, right? right? Because you, there's no salvation apart from faith. And uh, but but this this the I what I loved it. I thought it was wonderful because it actually takes baptism so seriously. And uh, makes it much more objective in a way. And then, if, so then, the, the, the what the church is doing is serving and taking care of the baptized, you know, mm-hmm. by teaching them, rebuking them, right, uh, with yeah, the word of their faith, huh? Rearing them, yeah, rearing them, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it's uh, it sounds strange at first, but I think this idea of son, right, that the son abides in the house forever. Um, this is the gospel promise, but some sons, you know, go out and change their names or they try right. to, right? But the father's never going to recognize that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the father's not, you, you know, you're not, if you change your, jam, your, your, your name from, you know, whatever, George to Jamie, you know, uh, Laura, whatever, I'm trying to think of a girl, Jane, there we go. I know that was so hard. You change your name from George to Jane and pretend all of a sudden that, you know, you disown your father, right? Your father's not going to start calling you Jane. Mm-hmm. You're still, you know, he knows who you are. He's going to call right. you by the name you were baptized in and given. Now, unfortunately, you know, if you want this inheritance, 
<laughs> yeah. On the will, it has your name. And uh, this is the name that matters and that endures. So, so I think this abiding forever thing is really interesting. Um, and the, the promise that's made here, but of course it's, it's of no benefit without faith. Right. Uh, and, uh, or, I mean, it's actually worse without faith because you're going to come under a harsher judgment. So I think so the sun thing's is, interesting. So this is uh, essentially like the objective making of a son, uh, and then making use of your status as son by faith. Yeah. Okay. Right. Which, which would be, right, again, the fear of the Lord, right? So, so filial fear as mm-hmm. opposed to servile fear, right? Okay. The, the, the slave of sin, right? You're a slave to sin and you're afraid of sin because it might not deliver, your, it might not deliver the punishment, right? Or uh, pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll do what, it, you're like an addict. You'll do anything to get the next hit, and, right? And so right. you're a slave to your passions, that and you're afraid of of what it might do to you or what it might require of you or how it might not give you what it promises whereas the son his fear is he is afraid of disappointing his father his desire is to be like his father to conform and to please his father but he does it's not um you know shaking in terror because his father is fickle or uncertain right but it's it's rather this this confident love of the father that is nonetheless very uh, concerned that it not fail or disappoint the father, right? Yeah. So I had one translation question. The uh, ESV says in verse thirty four, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin instead of who commits sin. Is there any nuance there that ought not be there, or? Well, I mean, isn't it just because it's just Aragon or Poyon? I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it can be. I mean, practice isn't isn't wrong. Um, are you are you are they trying to? You think they're trying to say? Well, if you commit a sin, it's no big deal. It's an ongoing. You think practice implies that? Is that what you're? Yeah, I mean, th- well. It's, I mean, consider your run-of-the-mill <laughs> Missouri City Lutheran, right? Not someone who commits sin, but someone who practices sin. I mean, I think John <laughs> brings this up later in talking about one who continually, um, you know, goes after sin versus one who falls into it, so to speak. Uh, but in his letters, I should say, not here in in John's Gospel, but. You know, if you're just sitting in the pew and you hear everyone who practices sin, it's very, it can be very easy, right, to say, "Oh, well, you know, I don't make a practice of it, right? And I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to get better at it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, at the same, I mean, it, there is a nuance of that 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 that's not so in Romans one. Um, at the very end, we have this, uh, let's see here, all the stuff we're not supposed to do, all the stuff that's going to take us out of the kingdom of God, backbiters, haters of God, so mm-hmm. forth. And then you get in 32, these people that that do this, all these terrible things, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, uh, sorry, this print is so small, those who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve it of those mm-hmm. who practice them. That's the same word there, and and there the New King James does use practice, and I think there is this sense there of right. It's one thing to commit. There there is a distinction between sins of weakness and deliberate sins, and maybe maybe the ESV is onto something um, with translating it practice because that does imply more of a deliberate sin uh, and an ongoing sin rather than a sin of weakness in the no, moment. No, it's not the same word. Isn't it Poya? Uh, I just looked at this. It's in so in verse thirty-two, the word for practice is pros, prosantos. All right, I'm, I'm looking at it again. Oh, you're right. I looked at it too fast. I thought it was the same. Well, poyusin comes later. Poyusin comes right. They not right, only right. do them, but give approval. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. Yeah, to those who practice them. Practice prosusin. them. Yeah. Well, anyway, the point would, I, I don't think it's a bad translation um, necessarily. I do, I mean, there is this, 
I mean, this is really interesting. I think at the end of Romans one, uh, that that you're in danger. The approval thing is really interesting too, right? Mm-hmm. That it's one thing to. I, I I wonder if there isn't a hint here at the end of Romans one, of Romans seven, right? Mm. It's one thing to do things that are against your conscience and that you're struggling against and that you don't even understand why you're doing in a sense, and it's another to approve, right? And mm-hmm. and to lead others into it. Um, here well, we see this all the time, don't not all the time, but yeah. we do see it sometimes when you know, say, the man in the congregation is you know against um, couples cohabitating until his daughter does it, <laughs> right? Well, or, um, yeah, and now all of a sudden he's in favor of everybody doing it, and, right? And, right, right, and he's, <laughs> yeah, there is this, there is this, I mean, there is a distinction between the, the Christian. Who is struggle? Who's being ruled by the Word of God and the New Man and the Holy Spirit, and therefore is resisting and fighting against sin? And someone who, you know, has just caved into it and has given up the fight. Mm-hmm. You know, here, you know, he who commits a sin is a slave of sin. I mean, I, it does still it does still read better that way to me. I was trying to defend the ESV. I, I yeah. but but. You know, there there is always the problem that you know, anytime we commit a sin, no matter how small, it is an indulgence to our passions and allowing that to rule us rather than the Word of God. So, but I don't know. Um, what we we'll go back to that? What verse was that in? Uh, is that thirty two? Uh, uh, John it's six, John eight. Oh, John eight. Well, that's my thirty four. I, I was just going to take a look at the tense here, right? Truly, truly, I say to you that anyone or uh, who, oh, it's a genitive. Uh, it's a present though. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is an ongoing, it does have a, right? Anyone who is committing a sin, uh, he is a slave of, he is to the sin. Where's the words? Oh, there, he is a slave to sin. Mm-hmm. So you do have an ongoing tense, but you also have the, uh, you also have the singular word sin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's and the slave to sin. I mean, it is a genitive. So your translation, you're doing New King James. Yeah, yeah, that comes out when it said slave of sin. Right. I mean, genitives. <laughs> we we think genitives mean possession because that's it's the possessive case in English. But even in English, I mean, genitives show relationships. So yeah. it doesn't have to be, um, yeah. I mean, slave to sin, slave of sin. But but here, I mean, it, it means, right, sin is the master. Right. I mean, here, possession is probably the actually the most, I mean, a, a, a kind of very literal sort of thing. You belong to sin. Mm-hmm. Sin owns you. Yeah, but the son, yeah, but the son abides forever, right? Uh, the slave is is uh, temporarily allowed, uh, enduring some present judgment, but but ultimately wrath is coming. But the son, right, is 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 going to abide forever. And again, you know, thinking of that prodigal son, uh, you know, the father who desires the son back, who wants the son to be the son, even though he's committed these heinous crimes. I mean, I do think there's a, well, throughout this, you know, Jesus, even though he's maybe annoyed in places, is reaching out to these people. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they are they are the sons of Abraham. He wants them to act like it. I mean, that's what you get later. He says, Abraham wouldn't do this. Remember, where's that? Uh, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now right. you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth when I heard of that. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. So, you know, it's harsh, but he is actually calling them back to be, be who you're supposed to be, right? Right. Um, you want Abraham? Good. So I, that's what I want too. That's the right guy. Be the sons of Abraham. Yeah. And Abraham rejoiced to see his day. And yeah. That's right. Even later. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What about this? So uh, back, uh, we didn't talk about what this word free means. And what do they think? I mean, it is interesting. So he says, the truth will make you free. And they right away say, hey, we've never been in bondage. We're sons of Abraham. How can you say this? You know, and as you pointed out, by American standards, they're not free. Right. Um, 
But I mean, they went by American standards. They weren't exactly free when David was on the throne either, right? I mean, they were they were enduring mm-hmm. all these different monarchs. So I don't actually know what 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 does this word free mean to them? I I don't either. I mean, that's hard to say. Because well, what does Jesus mean then? He means that they will be free from sin. Yeah. I mean, it has to be, right? Right. I think it has to be that they're, well, yeah, I think uh, free from sin. I think also, again, you know, kind of free from the tyranny of passions. Death. Are, right. Sending them uh, uh, back and forth. Be, they're going to be free to be obedient, mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds, right, uh, ironic, but uh, they're going to be free to be true to themselves, what they were, you know, back to what what we were intended to be in the as the image of God is restored, which doesn't sound that exciting in a way, but unless you're kind of, unless you actually recognize that uh, this isn't the freedom just to do whatever you want, right, or to make your own choices or something, but but this is actually the 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 freedom that lives as a son uh, in the hierarchy of the heavenly home, mm-hmm. uh, but rejoices in it as that which is most satisfying and pure and good and healthy and and so forth, right? Yeah, well, you can only be a son if you recognize a father. Right? Yeah. So if, if you're going to be free as a son is free, then you have to have you have to be in the patriarchy, right? You have to have yep. the father, right? And you so you can't you can't reject that. That's not right. freedom. No, you're not. You're you're not your own man. You're right. you're 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 in you're under the orders of your father, and you rejoice in it because it's it gives actually structure and order and goodness and safety and providence and right that you're you're there. And there's this, again, this filial fear then that I think comes with that, that um, is this freedom from having to try to make your own way, you know, to to be part of a family and not to be, you know, this is, I think, the problem. Why is it such a terrible punishment for Cain, (laughs) right? I mean, it seems like he gets off kind of easy. Actually, and then he says, "This is more I can bear." Yeah, and he's like, "This is more I can bear." Really? Uh, you just killed a guy. Quit complaining. And then, and then, and then, uh, and then God's like, "Oh yeah, well, I'm not going to let anybody kill you." And uh, and it, again, it's like, "Why not?" Uh, well, because this what actually what he says is right. Right? It is more than he can bear to to be outside of the family, uh, and this is a horrible thing because we were absolutely designed to live in families. Yeah, and and I think even more, it's kind of instructive. It seems as though God had handed Cain over to his own passions, right? So yeah. everything that he wants, he chases after. And the first time you get, um, the first time you get polygamy in the old, like, yeah, polygamy in the Old Testament is with the line of Cain. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's almost like the line of Cain is trying to. Um, make family, and they just can't figure it out. Yeah, I thought what you were going to say, which I had never thought of before, was you know, Cain doesn't want any. Cain doesn't want a brother. Good, no, okay, no brothers, right? Uh, but uh, which I think maybe could also apply to this, though, right? Cain has no brothers because he killed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, yeah, I like this that he's he's overcompensating. Uh, you know, well, what I what I need are right children. So the more women I can impregnate, the more children I can have. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and without, again, outside of God's mandate and design, mm-hmm. uh, it just goes awry, of course, because, yeah, because he's because not, a not son. truly a yeah, well, and because, he right, have a and since he's Yeah, and since he's not a son, he can't be a father. Right. He can't have sons. He can have, you know, he can make babies, but he can't be a father to them, really, because right. he doesn't have a father. Yeah, all, so it's all, kind of like the the you know you see so often the the sad case of young girls and even older women searching for love and then they search for it in <laughs> all the wrong places. I can't believe I just quoted that song, um, but they're just trying to fill the void with whatever man will come by, but it doesn't actually it's it's not the answer. It's not the remedy. 
Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's right. We, we are always, I mean, Aristotle is sort of right that we always are seeking our own good. And really we have this, we have some sense of what, what would be good. Uh, but we just, apart from the specific re- revelation of Holy Scripture and the submission of faith, we we just can't really. Rec- I mean, right? So we think we think sex will be good, and we might even think children will be good or or love would be good. But it's it's always in the sort of wrong context, and then it it doesn't deliver, it doesn't satisfy, and in fact, it causes problems. Yeah, because well, it's not abiding in the Word, right? Yeah. Which, you know, by the way, this is supposed to be the Reformation broadcast. We should probably connect that. And I think that's a connection. (laughs) Uh, There's two connections, I I think, explicit connections to the, uh, or I guess they can't be explicit, but two reasons that this was selected as a gospel for the commemoration of the Reformation. The first one is that emphasis on the word, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That that this is is the, the sole source and norm of all doctrine and life, and we have to abide in Jesus' word. Uh, not you know just in his love or something. That's kind of the modern way. Try to think. Well, the real thing that matters is that Jesus' love. Uh, well, his his love is known and revealed and found in his word uh, and the life. And his, so word that's is truth. Person. His word is truth, and his word makes you free, and his word makes you sons, right? Mm-hmm. So so the word. The other thing. Uh, this is actually this section is cited I think twice by Melanchthon, not not quoted, but just cited as a demonstration of the fact that we're saved by Jesus alone, right? So, and and apart from works, right? Because mm-hmm. if the Son sets you free, right? Not, not if the Son and your works set you free, but mm-hmm. only if the Son sets you free will be free. And there, there's no other, no other way of freedom. So it, it doesn't see, it is an anti-synergism passage as well. Yeah. Well, and I mean, getting back to to that, when our Lord says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, he's already assumed that they're not sons, right? Just in the statement. Yeah. And um, I mean, that becomes much clearer in what follows. But if Jesus is also speaking this to us, we need to be we need to be listening. That if we're committing sin, if we're practicing sin, how you however you want to translate that, then yeah, that statement is just as true for us, and right. we need the Son to also make us free. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it is it is a particular propensity of Lutheranism to to veer off into uh, you know, antinomianism or hedonism mm-hmm. or a kind of oversimplification of law and gospel and of justification against mm-hmm. sanctification. And that's why we have the formula of Concord. And yeah. so, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, this, this does again, warn us that, that sins are dangerous to faith and uh, that being made free by the word of Christ and his grace is a change of status that also then is reflected to some degree in behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not that we're all of a sudden now so free of of sin on this side of glory that you know p- people can maybe even notice, but uh, there are changes that we make uh, as sons in obedience to our Father, in expectation that what He commands is good, and also that we want to be like Him. Yeah. So, um, so in in the Reformation time, how how did this apply in terms of if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free? Is there some historical circumstances that can be brought up in terms of why we're not papists? <laughs> Uh, from these passages, I don't know. I mean, is there a sense in which the how the how the, the Jews here got off the rails is at least an echo or a rhyming with where Christians in Luther's day went off the rails? Well, I think that yeah. I mean, I think Luther often talks about the you know, the people being in bondage to the Pope, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So the that in fact, right, the the errors of the medieval Roman Catholic Church are a burden to the people that is crushing them and enslaving them, mm-hmm. and and, and uh, they have the wrong father. They have the wrong father, I mean, and they don't trust the right means, thing. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, they're trusting traditions instead of the word. I mean, all mm-hmm. all of that stuff is is part of there too. Yeah. All right. So, what are you going to focus on? Like. Uh, you can't say Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I can't say Jesus. Uh, no. Right. You know, I actually think I might. I've never preached on the solas. Um, okay. And uh, I was sort of, uh, I was sort of thinking about trying to redeem the three solas, or mm-hmm. and maybe the fourth one. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, you do have the kind of uh, uh, you know grace alone here with the uh, back again as it's cited by. Melanchthon with mm-hmm. Jesus alone is is who sets us free, and then word alone, right? If you abide in His word, so you've got mm-hmm. you've got those two. Uh, what's the third one? Oh, faith. Right. Um, I always forget that one. No, I. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. How could you work? Could you, I don't know if I can. I was just sort of thinking about this as I was uh, preparing for this. Should have anticipated you'd well, I mean, say something. Where's faith in this disciple? Oh, there you go. You could do that. Yeah. yeah, or even know, right? You shall know yeah. the truth, right? So that could be faith. Or that is faith, right? To know the truth is to believe the truth. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'll do that, but I, w- I was kind of thinking about that. I, I I had a real aversion to the solas for a long time. Why? So that, yeah, I don't, because I'm kind of just an anti-institutional jerk that just rebels, <laughs> likes to throw rocks from the sidelines, you know me. <laughs> So I, I I thought I need to maybe I should rethink that because you know that I mean they do have a purpose. Uh, yeah. I know they weren't and, maybe ever used by Luther, but yeah. But I I think it's a particular help because they all know it. Yeah, but that's they what know I was it either through misrepresentation from the Roman Church or a caricatured version from the other Protestant churches. So right. like. They don't understand the the Lutheran understanding of Sola Scriptura is not well known, right? Right, or or even faith alone, or um, now I can't remember the last one. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, 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 grace alone, grace alone. <laughs> yeah, or it grace. Be that hard to remember. Yeah. I know it shouldn't. They're like you know slogans. They should be easy right. to remember. <laughs> well, I was sort of thinking about uh, kind of, uh, right, like just what you were alluding to there is maybe doing a little bit of this. Yeah, you know, Scripture alone doesn't mean that we reject tradition, right? Mm-hmm. It just means that we reject tradition as authoritative. And of course, we use tradition and reason to interpret and understand Scripture, but there's a hierarchy. And then do the same thing with faith and works, mm-hmm. um, right, that we're, of works don't contribute to salvation, but, you know, but then what would you do with, what would you do with, so those two, I think I know what, uh, in terms of what, you know, they're kind of misused by the Protestants or whatever. What would, what's, how do they, what do they do with grace? Is there a problem there? Well, I mean, they view grace as a substance instead of, um, as divine favor. Uh, so you mean the Roman church? Yeah. Well, I was going after the, I was going after the Protestants. Well, I mean, it's still abstracted. It's not something that necessarily resides in God. So what do still- they think? When they say grace alone, what are they denying? Gra- grace and what's the, what's the and? Grace and works? Is it just the same as faith? Uh, um, well, I, I mean, in this, in this sense, it's, it's perhaps when you're dealing with works, you would say, say faith and faith lived out. So works in that sense, like sanctification, and grace and works in terms of earning salvation. Okay. So grace as opposed to merit. Yeah, there you go. And then grace as opposed to merit. Okay. So as though there was something in me. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then it's so actually in the in the kind of abusive, I mean, I don't think this is common in Protestants, but I think there have been Protestants that have had the idea that have actually seen faith as a kind of merit because it was our action. Mm-hmm. So there well, you I go. I mean, I think that's kind of decision theology, right? Yeah. 
Right, right. That's what, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where it really it is merit because I'm the one that was smart enough to see a good opportunity and take God up on it. Right. And uh, now evangelism is about how to sell this to other people and to convince them that, you know, this is a good idea for them. Right. It really takes the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's the, maybe that's what's lacking. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit and uh, with, with grace. They have grace sort of uh, without the Holy Spirit, and therefore it becomes a, a merit-based intellect or decision thing rather than the, the means of grace. Oh, there, that's it. The means of grace. Oh, yeah. Well, that should have been easier, too, than it was, but there you go. Now I think I got a good start on my Reformation sermon. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> that, that's what I'm here for. Well, it's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, Eddie, anything else? Any final thoughts? Uh, I would just like to, uh, you know, I just, I like to always defend the observation of Reformation because... In our circles, there's been this weird movement that thinks it's somehow not Catholic enough. And oh. uh, it, listen, you got to get over that. The Reformation is 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 as significant of a thing as has ever happened in the history of the Church. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the Reformation w- w- needs to be observed and celebrated. And I mean, I like uh, in um, oh, what's the name of that? SBNH Service Book and Hymnal. There's actually a rubric that says that the Reformation may be observed on the last Sunday in October and uh, All Saints on the first Sunday in November every year. And uh, I think that is a somewhat, at least it's not an unusual practice. I don't know how widespread it is, but I think it's Mm -hmm. a pretty good practice. I know it supplants some Sundays in Trinity, but I think that the Reformation is actually important enough that it really deserves a Sunday and it needs attention and it should get it because, uh, and I also, I like that it's read Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was uh, somebody that left us a few years ago that wrote this article kind of provocatively that said it should be violet because mm-hmm. we should be in mourning over the division of the church. Um, okay, fine. I mean, but the, uh, the reason it's red is because we have always connected it with Pentecost because yeah. we believe that the Holy Spirit was poured out, <laughs> you know, at that time in particular that, and, and brought a glorious light to the reading of Holy Scripture and liberated the church in a way that is as significant as anything is, that's ever happened. So, so anyway, use red, celebrate the Reformation. This year it falls on a Sunday. Is Sunday the thirty uh, the thirty first? Yep. You're not okay. So this year, you know, you're legit. You know, not even Godestines will judge you for doing it. But uh, <laughs> well, maybe Fritz I, will. For, well, okay, maybe. But I, I would never judge you on this. I think it's a good idea to do it all the time. So, so anyway, don't be ashamed of the Reformation. Uh, and, uh, you know, don't be proud, don't be triumphalistic, you know, don't beat hobby horses, but mm-hmm. uphold our great heritage and the gift that has been given to us without shame, right? Mm-hmm. That this is a, a, a huge historic event. Uh, anyway. Yeah. No, I totally agree. agree. I had final thoughts for once. Excellent. All Excellent. right. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Dave. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason.